I think that's the quietest this church has ever gotten that fast. I'm just saying. It's pretty impressive. It's good to it's good to come together and enjoy the fellowship and see everybody like excited to see each other. But why are you excited to see each other? Because the Avs are in the playoffs or are you excited to see each other because do you guys even know who the Avs are? Um Yeah. <laughs> What are we excited about? It should be about our life in Christ and encouraging each other with what God is doing. And I know we have, we have life. And why, why do we talk about life with each other? It's because, it's because that's what God is involved in, right? He's involved in the trials and the, and the victories that we have in life. And um, that's why we all we stand here. We look at each other. We talk to each other. We got so much to tell each other about what happened in our week. But I hope that we also put it in perspective and we see that it's God whose hand is in all of it and through everything. Uh, let's all stand up. You're welcome, Jemiah. <laughs> to God be the glory, great things he has done. So Father through Jesus the Son. You know, something this week I 
thought of more than I had before in the past is the perfection of the Trinity and how it works in our life. I asked the youth how many of them use Google Maps. And Google Maps, we all use it, right? Or Apple Maps or whatever. You can, you can do it with anything. But you have, you have the little voice that's sitting there talking. You have a blue line where you're supposed to go. And you have your destination. And what is it always doing if you take a wrong turn? It recalculates and it recalculates. Well, I think our navigator is the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the blue line we're supposed to be following to the destination of our Father. Hopefully you can look at Google Maps a little different next time you use it. actually pretty new um, ancient words I don't know maybe it was written a long time no, ago it's Michael but W. Smith so I don't think so yeah <laughs> um, yeah yeah not too he's ancient. getting there but not quite yet but um, I just think it's so true but on the way to church this morning I was reading this chapter and um, the last 
the last couple verses are my favorite verses, I think, in the Bible. Um, but I'll read some of this in Romans 8, uh, starting in verse 34. It says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
something and then you got to sing a song that has an echo and you are only used to doing the echo they were laughing at me at home because I cannot get that lead for nothing and then Judd back there he just grins at me for every mistake I make so I was thinking in heaven we won't have to worry about being on key or rhythm
thank you so much this morning, Lord, that you are our Lord and our Savior, Lord. Because of you, we have a hope and we have eternity. Lord, I just pray that as we praise you and worship you, Lord, that as we read your word, as we grow in our knowledge of you and we meditate on it, that it becomes worship to us, Lord, as we reach forth to you. And Lord, I just pray that you would not, and you have promised not to leave us alone, but you have sent the Holy Spirit, Lord, to guide and to direct us and to lead us into all truth. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we praise you because you are worthy. You are a glorious and amazing Savior, Lord. And I just thank you so much for that this morning. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Um, who has children's lesson this morning? I don't even know if I know. You do? Yeah. Oh, do you want me to sing with the kids? Okay. You want the kids to come forward? Is it a good morning or just morning? I had a lot of just mornings this week. But we'll, we'll, we'll say this is a good morning. All right. What do you got? God's not dead. That is so true. How do you know? Because what? Songs last night? Yep, but how do you know he's not dead? Because he rose from the dead. Okay, how do you know? You read the Bible, and you believe it's true, right? That's right. So, what is faith? You're practicing it. Can you see it? Nope. It is the essence of... What? The evidence of things hoped for? Right. I think it's, I mean, we have the same idea, but that's what it is. So you're, you can't see it, but the evidence is that you believe that God is risen from the dead, that he's alive. All right. Key of D. God's not dead, no, he is alive. God's not dead, no, he is alive. God's not dead, no, he is alive. I feel him in my hands, feel him in my feet, feel him in my heart, thump, thump. feel him in my soul, Woo! feel him all over me. God's not dead, no, he is alive. God's not Feel him in my feet, feel him in my heart, thump, thump. feel him in my soul, Woo! feel him all over me. We really need to spend more time practicing children's songs. All right, another one? Wrapped up, tied up. You ain't sick of that one yet? Isn't there another one? 
Nope. No other one. You guys all want to do it. Okay, we got that one too then. But you guys really want to do wrapped up, tied up? Okay. You know, one thing about children that I love, they can do the same thing if they enjoy it over and over and over and over. You know, as old people, we get kind of tired of it. Same old thing again. I love that. All right, you guys have been singing this for so many years. We'll keep on singing. Alexa, what was, how old were you about this tall when you first started singing that? Right, how old are you, Alexa? You're seven? And you've been coming to church, what, three and a half years, four years? So you'd have been like three. Man, that's tiny. All right, well, let's sing. Yep. Yeah, so about three years, so there you go. You don't know how old you were. I think you were in your, I think you were in the stroller going, wrapped up, tied up, hanging up. Your mom's pushing you around the park. No? I don't know. Maybe. All right. I think we do, oh, we do A? Huh? A, I think it's A. I never can remember all this. No, it's not A, I know that. It's D. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in God. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side. Inside, outside, side to side. Inside, outside, side to side in God. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right. Upright, downright, living right. Upright, downright, living right in God. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up, inside, outside, side to side. Upright, downright, living right in God. You guys want to see if Brandon's fingers can move this fast? I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side. Upright, downright, living right, upright, downright, living right in God. I got distracted and I got off. All right. I got the joy, joy, joy. Okay. Huh? Are you just argumentative this morning? He's crazy? I wonder who he's related to. 
Hmm. What's your name? Do you have a name? Sadie. Sadie? You're doing a very good job. That's a very hard song, but you were doing very good with it. All right. Let's see if you guys can get a good wear. All right. You guys want to do the first part or the last part? Okay. You want to say where? You want to sing first? They're going to say where? Then you're going to try to outdo them? Okay. You're going to sing with me then. They're going to say where? D again. <laughs> I've got... <laughs> what are you in? I... That ain't... See, this is my problem. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart to stay. the love of Jesus in my heart, and I'm so happy, so very happy, I've got the love of Jesus in my heart, I've got the love of Deaths of my heart to stay, and I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart, and I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. Well. I tell you what, if you guys become as good of evangelists as you are at screaming where, we are going to change the world, not us, but God through you. He'll use you to, right? Because that's, it takes a little bit of boldness to scream where, right? All right, you tell everybody. It's been so long since I've done children's lessons. I've missed you guys. So today I have a story for you. It's a story from the Old Testament. Uh, guess. Can you guess? Do you want to guess? No, not Jonah. No, good guesses. It has something to do with lions. <gasps> How did you know? Okay. The Den of Lions. Nebuchadnezzar, the great king over all the nations, had another dream which none of his wise men could understand except Daniel. He dreamt about a tremendous tree and that it was cut down by the orders of a holy one from heaven. That tree is you, O king, Daniel told him. But if you humble yourself before God and ask him to forgive all the wrong things you have done, it may be that the Lord God will continue to let you be king. A year later, as the king was starting to boast about all he had done and what a great king he was, suddenly the Lord God made him to become like an animal. 
He was not able to be king, but was like a madman for seven years. After that, God healed him, and he sat on his throne again and became an even greater king than he had been before. He wrote a letter to the people of all his dominions, telling them all that the Most High God, what the Most High God had done for him, and he praised and honored the Lord God who had made him a king. After that, Nebuchadnezzar lived a life which was pleasing to God until he died. Then Belshazzar became king, but he did not reverence the Lord God as Nebuchadnezzar had done, nor did he count Daniel as one of his wise men. One day he made a great feast for all his nobles. He used the holy golden cups which had been brought from the Lord's house in Jerusalem. Then he praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron and wood. As Belshazzar was drinking wine and praising all his idols, idol gods, a frightening thing happened. A hand appeared writing all by itself on the wall. What? Can you imagine if that would happen? Are you serious? If all of a sudden we were just sitting here and a hand would start writing on the wall, can you imagine? The laughing and joking of the banquet suddenly stopped. Call my wise men and see what it means, the king cried. They came, but none could tell him. The king's face became deadly white. What could it mean? The queen reminded Belshazzar that in Nebuchadnezzar's day, Daniel had been his advisor. Call Daniel, she said. So Daniel came. I have heard that you are intelligent and can solve, solve difficult problems. I will put a gold chain around your neck and make you third ruler in the land if you can tell me what that writing on the wall means, said Belshazzar. You may keep your gifts, Daniel replied. You knew that the Most High God blessed your ancestor. He knew, you knew that Nebuchadnezzar found out that the God of heaven raises up kings and rules over all this world. And now you are praising other gods and drinking out of the holy golden cups from the temple of God. You have not honored the God of glory. The meaning of the words are these. Your reign as king is finished. You have not lived in a way pleasing to God, and your kingdom is given to the Medes and Persians. That very night, Darius the Mede came, the kingdom was overthrown, and Belshazzar was killed. Darius was king now, and Daniel became one of the three most important men in the king's court. Darius the Great found Daniel to be the wisest man in his kingdom and planned to set him over all the other rulers in the land. Daniel would be the most powerful man under the king. The other wise men did not like this. They were jealous. Daniel was a Jew. He came from another land. They tried to find out how they could get him into trouble. But Daniel did his work well. He was honest. He never broke any of the laws. He did not do anything wrong. He served the king faithfully and well. We must find some way to get rid of him, those wicked men said. Then they thought of an idea. We know that he prays faithfully to his God, they said. That is how we can catch him. So they went to the king. Oh, King Darius, live forever. All your royal advisors have agreed that you should make a law. We have thought it would be good and right for you to make a law which says that if anyone should pray to any god or man except you, O king, for 30 days, they shall be thrown into the lion's den. We must know that all your people are faithful to you. Now we must get the law written and sealed and signed, for then it cannot be changed or altered. 
So the law was written and sealed by the king. When Daniel heard that the law had been made, he knew that he would not stop praying to the Lord who loved him. He went home to his house, and where his windows opened toward Jerusalem, he knelt down and prayed to the Lord God three times every day, as he had always done. He thanked God for his goodness to him. He prayed that God would forgive his sins and the sins of his people, and he asked God that they might go home again one day to their own land and serve him there. The wise men were watching. Then they ran to the king. Did you not make a law which says that anyone who asks or prays to any god or person except to you, O king, shall be thrown in the lion's den? That is so, said Darius, and the laws of the Medes and Persians cannot be changed. We have found someone who pays no attention to you, O king, nor to your law. It is Daniel. He prays three times every day to his god. Now the king loved Daniel. He was very sad when he realized what had happened, and he tried to think of ways in which to save Daniel. He was his best and most trusted servant. Remember, O king, those wicked men said, the laws of the Medes and the Persians cannot be changed. You sign the law. What could the king do? He could find no way to save Daniel, his good servant. Daniel had to be thrown to the hungry lions. King Darius spoke to his friend Daniel. May your God, whom you serve all the time, may he save you, he said in his distress. Then they took Daniel to the den where they kept the lions, pushed him in, and rolled the stone back into place, fastening it securely. Do you think they thought, now we got rid of him? They were pretty positive, 100% sure, right? Right, because we know the end of the story. But if you were there, you wouldn't know the end of the story. And you would think, surely those lions are so powerful, they would devour him before he even got to the bottom. That's what always happened before. Yeah, Alexa. Mm -hmm. Okay, so King Darius could not eat his supper that night, nor did he want any music to be played. When he went to bed, he could get no sleep for thinking about his good and faithful servant, Daniel. He tossed and turned all night long. He was so miserable. But you know what? He had a little bit of hope because the next morning, as soon as it was light, he rose and hurried to the lion's den. Daniel, he cried when he arrived. Has your God whom you serve been able to save you from the lion's? Then came a voice from the den, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths. They have not hurt me because I have done nothing wrong in his sight, nor have I done any wrong to you, O king. How happy Darius was. Lift Daniel out of the den, he ordered. When Daniel was brought out, there was not a scratch or bite to be found on him anywhere. By order of the king, those wicked men who had accused Daniel and had thrown him to the lions were taken and thrown into the den themselves. Do you think they fared like Daniel? No, no the lions immediately jumped upon them and tore them to pieces. The lions, who did not want their supper, soon ate all their breakfast. Eww, that's kind of a weird way of putting it. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and people of every language, 
Peace be to you. I am writing to you to tell you to reverence and serve the God of Daniel. He is the living God. His kingdom shall never be overthrown. He has saved Daniel from the lions. All my people should worship the Lord God. So Daniel served the Lord his God and ruled in the empire under Darius the king. All of that happened because of one man who was willing to do what? Pray. But not only pray, but open his windows because he was not ashamed, right? So he was willing to put his own life at risk if it meant praying to his God. And he just did the same thing he always did. Open his window, pray to God three times a day. And he did. He was not scared, right? He wasn't even scared of the men who could put him, who could kill him because his faith was in who? God. And is God bigger than the lions? Yeah. <gasps> is he bigger than all of our fears? Is he bigger than the dark? Yeah. Oh, he is. There's, he's bigger than the world. And don't ever forget that he loves you. Yep. And he will always take care of you. And you can, all you have to do is ask him for his help and he will help you. Okay? Okay. You can go back to your parents. Good job. Good morning. Thank you, Hershey's, for sharing with us this morning, children's lesson. I got caught up on uh, the last song we sang, Praise the Name of the Lord Our God, and my uh, mind went to Revelation. But first of all, I mean, what, why is it important to, to praise the Lord, or what are you praising Him for? Phil, what are you praising Him for today? He's my God, and I am His child. Christopher. For his goodness, his loving kindness, tender mercies towards us. Dave, what are you praising the Lord for? Life and health. I'm sorry? For life and health. Life and health. All kinds of things. Anyone else? Who, who, who's got a praise this morning? What are we praising the Lord for? Living to the next day. He gives us mercies new every morning. So every, every day, the next day, there's a refreshment that God gives us that's worth the praise for. Dwayne, you got a whole list of things to praise the Lord for. you want to share any of them? Yeah, today, uh, just to be able to be in this group of people, I mean, this is, this is amazing to me. Well, you need to get used to praising the Lord. Have you ever read the book of Revelation and John's picture of heaven and, and praising the Lord in, in heaven? Now, I, I try to, to think about how the Apostle John must have felt when he was seeing these things and these visions and how he tried to explain them. I, I believe that the words that John had to use were totally inadequate to what he saw. And I think that's why you see so many of the word pictures that he's just grasping for words to explain what he's seeing in these tremendous visions. And you see these visions or these uh, pictures of, of praising the Lord and how we're going to do that through eternity. And my mind went to Revelation chapter 5, and you have uh, 
And it's in, in verse 8, you know, it talks about him taking the book and, and opening it. And it says, the, you have the four living creatures and the 24 elders. And so they fall down before the Lord and, and start praising. And they sang a new song. And here's what they said. Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So that's, that's the first thing that these uh, 24 elders and the four beasts are praising the Lord for. You're taking people out of every place on earth, every tribe, every tongue. I don't know how people, those of you that study languages maybe a little bit more than I do, do you have any idea how many languages are in the world? How many dialects? I mean, Elite here is probably the most uh, proficient in a couple of different languages here. <laughs> We're going to have people there with southern accents. We're going to have, I mean, how, how many how many dialects are in Mexico or how many Spanish uh, different dialects are there? And even among other, and then you, then you add in the other uh, the other countries. I, I remember on a on a trip uh, I took down to El Salvador and I went into Guatemala and and you know I I didn't really know any Spanish, still don't, but I I remember going to these different places. In, in these different countries, and they all, I mean, they're all speaking Spanish, but they all kind of made fun of how the other people in, in these other countries speak Spanish. Yeah, they don't do it right, you know. So, thousands of different uh, languages. Okay, here's God redeeming people and making them priests to God from every one of these nations. And what does it mean to be a priest to God? What's, what's he referring to here? Any idea? Why, why is he using that picture of being a priest? What's your best guess on that? What did the what did the priests do that the normal people couldn't do? They went in the very presence of God. They had direct access to God that the people did not have. So God is saying that or these twenty four elders are praising God for giving people from everywhere direct access to God. Well, then it only gets better. Yeah, then John looks around and he, and now there's, in uh, verse 11, there's the voice, the voices of many angels added into this. And living creatures, thousands upon thousands, saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Well, then it keeps growing some more and says, And every created thing in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, on the sea, and all things in them. I think that pretty much includes everything that's living, right? So the entire creation joined in to say, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. What kind of praise fest is that? You know, we hear about these 
you know, these singing uh, uh, times and, you know, hymn sings and whatever all, and they'll call them a praise fest or whatever. All well and good, but I tell you what, that's going to be a praise fest like no other. So let's get used to praising the Lord here, and that's just uh, where my mind went on that last song. For So uh, thank you for indulging my rabbit trail there. Thank you for picking that song, Carrie or Sarah. All right, well, welcome. It's good to have each of you here this morning, and uh, I'm glad you're here to worship with us. I'm not sure that I see any first-time visitors I think uh, people are probably pretty familiar with what is happening around here. I think Phil's going to preach the sermon today and share the word with us, and then we'll have a meal afterwards, as usual. As usual, there's coffee, tea, and water back in the entryway. Please help yourself to that. Before we turn it over to Phil, let's uh, take a moment and pray. Father, I thank you for this time we have here together this morning. I thank you that not only do you give us the opportunity to praise you, and not only do we have that example in John's vision of all of heaven and earth praising you, but we're commanded to do that, to praise you, to lift you up. And we want to do that here this morning in every way, in our singing, in our fellowship. I pray that our very lives would be a praise to you here this morning. I pray that you would speak to us through your word, refresh each heart and each life here this morning. You know the the needs, the desires of each one here, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us and now minister to us through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I couldn't agree more, Brother Duane. To be here in the family of God, it's amazing. <clears throat> See, that's, that's what the church is. We live in a Christendom that God's people coming together on a Sunday morning has turned into a theater experience. You come... And there's a show, and you go home and eat dinner or lunch, and most people don't even know each other. They rarely talk to each other. They're not in each other's lives. But that's not who the, the church is. The church is the family of God. That's what God says about it. And if you read the early church experience from that upper room of the, where the 120 were, where the Holy Spirit came down, first entering into the human hearts in a special way, making them a family. And from that day forward, where Christ lived was in his family. He lives in me personally, but he wants to live out his life through his family. And that was the joy that was set before him that caused him to endure the cross. Despising the shame was for his family. As Brother Kerry shared this morning, it so blessed me again is that 
The first thing Jesus said to the first person he met when he rose up out of the grave. Who was the first person he met? Can someone tell me? Mary. Mary. What did he say to Mary? Go tell my brethren. Go tell my brethren I'm going to meet him in Galilee. Jesus had never called them my brethren before. They were his disciples. He said, you call me Lord. And you say rightly so, for that's who I am. But the night before he died, he said, no more will you call me Lord. I won't call you my servants anymore. In John chapter 14, he says, from now on, I'm going to call you my friends. Because a Lord doesn't explain anything to his servants. He just says, go do it, and he expects it to be done. No questions asked, no explanation needed. I'm Lord, you're my slave, go do it. That's how it is. That's how it was. But Jesus said, not anymore. And here's the difference. I'm going to call you my friends because friends share their hearts with each other. Friends explain things to each other. Friends open up their hearts. And that's what Jesus did in John chapter 13 all the way through his prayer at 17 before he went to the garden of Gethsemane. He opened up his heart so much that in John chapter 16, the disciples said, Whoa, now you're speaking plainly and no more in parables. Now we know you're the son of God. Because he said, you're my friends. And that's who Jesus is. That's who you are. We're called to be each other's friends. Brothers and sisters. I love Sunday mornings. with. The, that's why I love the children's lessons so much. That's why I love the interaction. It shouldn't be this formality of us gathering together. And sure, there needs to be decency and in order. The Bible says so in the church. But it should be done in the spirit of a family meeting. That's who we are. We're brothers and sisters of each other. We laugh together. We can cry together. We can praise God together. We can pray together. We can open up our hearts because we're friends. That's what this is about. It's lovely. I'm so blessed to be your friend. To be back here. And, and I experienced this in such a rich way as I went to Australia in the last 10 days. Spending with the brothers and sisters there, uh, a weekend conference. And, and that's exactly what I experienced. It's absolutely amazing to me. It, it does this to me every time in such an impactful way. I go there and I'm only known to a few, maybe a handful of, of people that, have, that know me well. Because we communicate over Zoom and we've met before, only one time before. Daniel and Adina were here uh, uh, a few weeks ago. And so we met them a few times. Probably more than any of them. The rest I'd only met one other time in my life, physically. Just a few of the brothers. All of those other 200 people were strangers to me. They heard of me, but, and I heard of some of them. But the moment I sat in there, I went there, we gathered together for the weekend conference, and, and they had rented this compound with a lot of different, different dorms. And I wanted to actually show you a slide, and maybe I can. Uh, Patrick, are you on the computer? Can you go on the, on, the, on the website called Grace Christian Fellowship Brisbane? B-R-I-S-B-A-N-E. Grace Christian Fellowship Brisbane. And they, I think it'll come up where we'll just show a, they show a real quick slideshow. 
of the weekend. And some of the, they recorded the sermons on YouTube and, and, and the weekend there. As he looks for that, um, this is what happened to me. I, you know, I, I sat there and I, and though I went there to preach and I preached my heart out six sermons in two and a half days. And, but I tell you, I received so much more than I gave. So much more. Because I was a brother in the family of God. And there were no strangers. We are not strangers and foreigners anymore in the household of God, Ephesians 2 says. But we're brothers and sisters. And you can go anywhere in the world and be a brother and a sister. And be enriched in your faith towards God. There the children did just what we do here. Sang songs together. Sisters getting up, sharing testimonies. We prayed together. We wept together. We looked at God's word together. We encouraged one another. We ate lunch together and dinner together and went on walks and shared hearts. This is the family of God in every nation. That's what we're going to do for all eternity. Except in the presence of Jesus. And today we do it in his presence of the Holy Spirit. This is our God. When you sang that song, Sarah and Carrie, my mind went to Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1. O Lord, Thou art my God. I will exalt Thee, Anthony. Right? Here's the answer. Because You're my God, I will exalt Thee. You can't do that if He's not your God. If you're serving other gods in this world, this will not come out of your heart. You're serving and loving something that will never love you back. That's how we get cheated. As God's people, we've got idols, household idols that have the affection of our hearts. And we set our love upon it and we serve it and we chase it. The American dream is an idol. And it robs us from praise to our God because He's not our only God. We have other gods in our lives. And if you're there, God is calling you today. God is calling every one of us to purify our hearts and make Him the God of our life. The only God. Because He's the only living God who can love us back. The rest are dead gods who rob us blind. Just like those gods of the heathen tribes in the middle of Africa and wherever they are across the world. You know what they do? They take everything from them. They cause them to sacrifice their chickens. They cause them to sacrifice their rice. They cause them to sacrifice everything to appease them. They're always taking, 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 taking. And they live poor, poverty-stricken lives because their gods are demanding sacrifice of appeasement and when they become a Christian they begin to serve a God who gives instead of demands a God who gives freely who blesses who loves to bless his children because he's a daddy and he's a good dad and when he adopts us into his family, he wants to share his life with us. That's why he says in Romans 8 that we become heirs with Christ and joint heirs with Jesus. We get the inheritance of a father in heaven. Not only in eternity, today we get the blessings of life. Paul says to the Corinthians, 
when he's there in Corinth, there's a city filled with idolatry, and he stands on Mars Hill in Athens, not Corinth, in, in Athens, and, and they give him an opportunity to preach, and he says, you serve all these gods. They even had an altar to an unknown god, lest they missed one. And Paul says these amazing words in Acts chapter 18. For while I was passing through, verse 23, and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. This God does not live in church houses anymore. How is it that so many Christians go to church houses to seek a God who's not there? He's not here. He's here. And He's there in your hearts. And that's why He's here, because we're here. But He doesn't live in a church house anymore. That's our problem. We go to church houses to worship a God who's not even there. So we put on a program and a light show and we have a theater experience. It's a movie show. That's it. We go home and we eat and we drink and we live like the rest of the world for the rest of the week. And all we get on a Sunday morning is an entertainment show. No wonder we're dead spiritually. We're almost dead. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. That they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and we have our being. For in Him we live and move and exist. This is our God. O oh Lord, Thou art my God, I will exalt Thee, I will give thanks to Thy name, for Thou hast worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. And then he says these amazing words. This is Isaiah. Isaiah. Jesus had not come. The Holy Spirit had not yet come to live within us. But the Holy Spirit had revealed this to this prophet in the middle of an Israel who was backslidden. Who Isaiah chapter 1 says that the nation he lived in, God's own people, were so sick with sin that from the top of their head to the soles of their feet, they were rotten with sin. He said these words to them. Verse 6. And the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine and choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. 
And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over the nations. I heard Brother Kerry shared about the veil that was rent. And that's exactly what Jesus did. The presence of God was opened, not just to the high priest once a year, but to everyone who believes and calls on the name of the Lord. Every moment of your life, His presence, He wants to share with us. Lavish it over us. Do life with us. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day. And these are the words that came ringing in my heart when we sang that song. It will be said in that day. Behold, this is our God. We have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. If you're waiting for that God and he reveals himself to you through his Holy Spirit every morning, his mercies are new. Every evening you can sing of his faithfulness because his presence walked with you and lived in you and in him you lived and moved and had your being that day. You will say these words, this is our God. But all oh, the glorious day that Anthony read to us. No wonder we're going to sing for all eternity when we see him face to face and are unashamed. Did you find a little slideshow? Guys. If you just are you able to click on, um, I think on YouTube, they shared um, the site. Maybe we can do it a little later. Um, but they just give a, a short, uh, a brief video clip of, of the place. It's just before the, uh, one of the, like, if you click on any of the sermons that they have there, they, they play it before each sermon. I thought it would be really neat because it would give you guys just a brief glance into our weekend. <clears throat> While you look for it, just wave your hand at me if you find it. As I was traveling, I was waiting a lot in long lines I had a flight from Denver on Monday evening to Phoenix Arizona and I waited there for a couple hours and then waited some more on the airplane for about an hour waiting on pilots to show up flying flew to LA LAX and Waited there for about an hour and then found out we missed our flight to Sydney. It's an overnight flight, about an 18-hour flight. And so they said there's nothing else to do. There's no other flight leaving the U.S. to Sydney until tomorrow night. So here's a hotel room. And there you have it. And so went and spent the hotel room that I didn't want to be in. And at 12 noon, the hotel room kicked me out. And 
went back to the airport and waited till 10.30 that night to board the next flight. I waited a lot. Long time. There it is. Yeah, just, just run through this. That's the place. That's good. <clears throat> they ran through it real quickly, but it gave you a little brief glimpse into our weekend. It was wonderful. So as I waited and then sat on an airplane for many hours, the Lord gave me quiet time. And I was struggling at first. I was like, Lord, what are you doing? I'm a whole day late now getting over there, and thankfully I had went the day earlier or I would have been a day late to the camp. So the Lord directs our steps that way. But the Lord spoke to me this way, Phil, I'm preparing you. That's what this day down is all about. All this downtime is to prepare you as my servant and my child not for the work that is ahead of you this weekend. Yes, that includes that, but for a greater thing. And the Lord took me to these words. Turn your Bibles with me to Amos. You know where the book of Amos is found? It's just before the book of Obadiah and right after the book of Joel. <clears throat> and if you haven't read this book lately, you should read it again because it's a word for us today in our generation. In Amos chapter 4, verse 12. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel. He's describing what he's going to do to Israel up to this point. And he says, thus I will do, I will do this to you, O Israel. And because I shall do this to you, Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what are his thoughts, he who makes dawn into darkness and treads on the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. And the Lord said to me, Phil, I'm preparing you to meet me, your God. Do you know God does that? You prepared yourself to come here this morning to meet other people. We do it all the time. We get up in the morning and we prepare ourselves to go to work. We prepare ourselves for the day. In the evening, we prepare ourselves for the experience of the nighttime to go to bed. Our life is a life of preparation, is it not? We are familiar with this exercise, preparation. When we go to have surgery, there's prepping to be done, right, Dwayne? Mom, those of you who have surgery, you know they take you to the prep room first. There's consultation before that to prep your mind for it. We live a life of preparation, but there's one preparation that so many people on this earth miss. We prepare for life's experiences every day, but 
few people on the earth today are preparing to meet their God. Very few. What does your preparation to meet your God look like? Are you preparing for the greatest appointment of your life? The most important moment of your life, your eternal existence, is when you stand before your Creator, the God of all flesh who created you, and your eternal destiny sets in front of you. Have you made any preparation for that day? Are you preparing? Now, I don't know about you, but when I prepare every morning to get up and walk through my day, I don't just start it on a, with a prayer. I don't just start it with a short prayer, as they say, a prayer in a wing. Now we wing it for the rest of the day. When you go to prepare to have surgery or to see a doctor or when you go prepare yourself for bed, you don't just start it with a prayer and then that's it. No, we do things. It's a preparation experience. And yet so many people go through life without preparing their hearts or their minds or their lives for the greatest appointment they'll ever have. And we live in a day as a church, as a local church family, when this should be really on our minds, set right in front of us, because the Lord did so with us. Two months after this church started, many of you don't know this, but two months after this church started, a young man who was our praise and worship lead singer went to be with the Lord Jesus. He was just going to a youth gathering that night, Seth, at Carrie's house. We thought he had a little backache. He was going to the chiropractor for a couple weeks before that, and he wasn't sure what was going on. They were trying to figure it out. But that night, he had a mini stroke as he was driving to Carrie's house. And he was rushed. Carrie rushed him to the hospital, and, and a number of us quickly gathered there. And I'll never forget Seth's look. As he laid there, he could hardly move. He was paralyzed on one side, right? By that time already, Carrie. And we were, we were trying to communicate with him. He could barely communicate with us. He could just kind of look at us. And, and as we prayed over him, and, and I remember as, he, as, as they loaded him on the, onto the helicopter for life flighting him to Denver, and, and, and as, he, as he lifted up and we stood there and waved at him about, I don't know, 10 of us or so, and, 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 he, and he looks out. I remember that look as he looked at us. Three weeks later, he's in eternity. We know it quite recently. Laurie lived among us. We did life together. We rejoiced to see them get married in the middle of COVID. And God did so many miracles for them. We, we, they knelt right here. We prayed over them, anointed them with oil. She got pregnant with a baby that they didn't think they could have. We rejoiced in their pregnancy, walking with them. When her baby was due, they rushed off to Wisconsin and 
We never seen her again. Two weeks later, she's with Jesus. In the middle of their happy life. I remember getting the call and that Michael and I were out headed with a little tiny house to California and Carrie and Toretta were headed that way with Ruthie, I think. And, and we caught a quick flight and that Saturday night as I met Jason and the next day, Friday night or Saturday, I asked Jason as he took us up there to the the place they were staying at with the midwife. I said, when you went to the hospital, were, were you in a panic? Was something happening? Like, were you, did you expect any? No. He said, we drove there leisurely. We knew the baby was breached. And we knew we needed help, but nothing. It's just walked into the hospital, calm, excited to have a baby. And an hour later, it was over. Everything changed. Two souls in eternity whom we had loved dearly. And just recently, many of you didn't know Dave. Dave Thorne, but we knew him well. Dad and Mom and Katie and I talked with him regularly. You knew him, Linda, right? He would come out every morning on a day, a beautiful day like today. He was in a broken, frail body, but he would, he would every Sunday afternoon, he would wheel his, his chair down in front of our uh, porch there or in front of their porch, and we'd talk and we'd share and pray together about God and, and the things of God and our hope for eternity, and all of a sudden, he was gone. I remember as, he, as they took him up there and he, he was... He was isolated up there in, in that room in Fort Collins and, and, and I, as I called him on the phone and, and he said, Phil, I just want to go to be with the Lord. I'm through with this life on this earth. I'm through with it. Pray that I could go. And as I prayed, it was strange. I never prayed before that someone would die. I don't remember ever doing that before, but I felt that the Lord said, pray this prayer for him. Pray that I take him. And so I prayed and a week later, God took him. Because I shall do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. How are you preparing to meet your God? He not only is here, but He has appointed a day for each one of us to meet Him face to face. And as I was traveling throughout the airport, I felt as I stood in these long lines the check-in lines at the airport, the security lines in the airport. And I stood there and there were millions of people, at least thousands upon thousands in Denver and in Phoenix and in L.A. and in Sydney, these world airports that are thousands of people from all over the world. What are we doing? We're all standing in line waiting for our next flight, preparing for our destination. The airport is not a destination. Right? It, no one wants to sleep there overnight. No one wants to stay there. It's a place of transit. And so guess what the world has done? They've made the place of transit a wonderful marketplace experience. They have. I mean, it is one of the greatest, fanciest shopping centers you'll ever see in the world. 
full of food and restaurants and all kinds of tax-free, duty-free gifts that you can buy to entertain people while they wait. As I read this, and I've been pondering, even while I was on the plane, the Lord just kept putting this deep under my heart. For some time now, was reading about Jesus' words to us in Luke chapter 21, and then also in Matthew chapter 24, about preparing ourselves for His coming. And whether it's you and I individually leaving this world and standing before Him, entering into eternity, or whether His actual coming as lightning in the sky flashes from the east to the west, or as He says in Matthew chapter 24, some will be out in the field plowing, just work in the fields. And in an instant, one will be gone and the other left. Two women will be in a bakery just doing normal daily chores. One will be gone and the other left. What are you doing to preparing yourself to meet your God? In Luke chapter 21, he says in verse 10, Then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Well, that's all happening all around us, isn't it? There's an earthquake almost every month somewhere, a tragic one. There are wars and rumors of wars and we've had COVID and it's not over. No one can seem to figure it out. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It's happening all over the world. We're one of the few countries that are not being hauled off to court because of our faith or losing a promotion in our job. But it's coming, brothers and sisters. It's coming. And it's not far away. It can happen overnight. I believe it with all my heart. We live in the most volatile political experience that every generation that is alive today has said they've ever seen. Do you hear the signs of the times? What are you doing about it? You want to hear a lot of Christians do about it? We're talking about it all over the world. I've had people on this trip from so many different nations on the airplane and in the airplanes and even at the conference, people from China, people from Asia, people from India, people from Romania, people from all over Europe. And God's people are talking. We're all talking the same language. We are all aware something is happening. Things are changing in this world. 
But you know what I find? This is what I find even among God's people in this so gripped my own heart because God is speaking to me and convicting me about this and I must share it with you as God's people because this is God's word to His people in this generation. The prophet of Amos. Words to God's people in the last days. Prepare your heart to meet your God. O Israel. He wasn't talking to the world. He wasn't talking to the world leaders. He was talking to his people. And that's exactly where we stop. I hear us talking about it. And it's like we're saying, whoa, woe is us. Things are happening. Did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? And then we go home. That's it. That's where it stops. We're no bigger, no, no better. Our language seems to be the same as the TV commentators. Maybe it's because that's who we're listening to. And so our language is the same. And it's almost like God's people are aware of it, but there's no nothing being done about it. We're not into action for it. Listen to the next words. Verse 13. Of Luke chapter 21. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. That's what this is to do. God is creating the greatest opportunity the world has ever seen. For a testimony of his people to be proclaimed in the world. God's people are opportunists. We're opportunistic. We look at everything as an opportunity of our faith. As an opportunity to express our love for each other. As an opportunity to forgive one another. As an opportunity to overcome sin in my life. As an opportunity for my faith to be strengthened. As an opportunity to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Are you one of those? That's the first step of preparation. We must see that the age we're living in is my opportunity. God-given opportunity. And if you won't do it, if I won't do it, who will? Who will? Will we find someone on the earth in these last days that sees these days as an opportunity? And they go for it. They seize it. They speak of it. Everywhere they go. In the airports, on the planes, in the restaurants, in the workplaces. They speak of it whenever they engage in the conversation. Boy, it's amazing how the world does not want to hear that. I got the wonderful opportunity to sit beside people really close, shoulder touching, for 15 hours or more. With my Bible open. You know how many people didn't want to look at me? It makes people so nervous. They start shaking, literally. Hey, what are you reading? Yeah? Who are you? Your pastor? I'm a Christian. That's what I tell them. See, if I tell them I'm a pastor, they can write me off. Well, that's what pastors do. And then there's no conviction. And it closes the door of my opportunity to share into their hearts. So I tell them, I'm a Christian. Are you one? 
And you know what amazes me? Not only anymore has the world put entertainment in the places of no destination, the places of transit, which is what we are in this world. We're simply in transit through our eternal destination. They put it right in front of our noses in every airplane seat. And guess what most people do for those 15 hours? They're entertained by the devil, the enemy of their soul. Distracted from the journey. Distract them from the destination. Because the journey is long. Distract yourself. Very few, very few did not have their TVs on. And as I would get up and walk to the restroom and walk back through all those seats, I had to close the eyes of my heart because most of those movie screens were things I didn't even want to see. Demonic pictures of entertainment. And I thought, oh God, there are almost 400 people on this airship and we're all headed for a destination and we're all being entertained by the devil, Lord to sleep until we get there. Who's preparing to meet their God? Oh, I tell you, I wanted to get up and preach. But I knew I'd probably be arrested. Maybe one day I'll have the boldness to do that. So make up your minds. Not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. Verse 14. An opportunity. We live... In a day of a God-given opportunity, brother, sister. So make up your mind. Now when someone makes up their mind, it's a set, right? It's a mindset. We come to a decision we make. We say, hey, just make up your mind. Which do you want? And when you, once you make up your mind, it's a decision that is clearly made in the mind. And that decision produces action. Now you're going to eat that food because you made up your mind to do it. You're going to put on that dress or that, that shirt because that's what you made your mind up to do. Now you made up your mind, you're going to go there. So you go there. So action always follows the makeup of one's mind. Always. So make up your minds. Not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. <sighs> I can't believe sometimes what I hear God's people saying today. In the middle of all this political unrest, in the world that is at war and going to war, in a world that is troubled about many things, God's people are preparing to defend themselves. Physically, we're arming for war. As Jesus looks at his bride and he's calling her to prepare to meet their God, they're arming themselves for war. An earthly kingdom, war. Self-preservation, war. What will you do in the end, brother, sister? 
There's this amazing word in Jeremiah chapter 3 where Jeremiah, very similar at the same time as Amos, is proclaiming the words to Judah, prepare yourselves for the end. And he says these words, you're doing all these things, but what will you do in the end? I tell you, you will stand before your creator without a gun on your hip. That's what you'll do. No one will have a gun there. And what I see God's people do, and this breaks my heart, and I'm going to say it because I'm a prophet of God in this generation. And I must proclaim it, just like Amos said. I'm just a vine dresser, but God sent him up there to Israel as a prophet. And he said, I'm not a prophet, I'm not a son of a prophet, but I've got to speak the words God has put on my heart for his people. And Amos was the last prophet that Israel ever got to hear. Before they were destroyed as a nation. I shared with one brother. A close brother. He was telling me about all the conspiracies. That are happening in our government today. How there's going to probably be a civil war. Before we know it's just going to break out on us. And he's absolutely convinced of this. And you know what? I don't doubt it. And as he was telling me what he's all involved in and how he's preparing himself for this with weapons of war and mass destruction and guns of certain calibers and things, and I said to him, Brother, whose side will you be on? What are you fighting for? An earthly kingdom? Are you going to fight to make America great again? Is that the ambition of your life? Is that what you're preparing yourself for? Is that who you're listening to? Well, I have news for you from God's own word. America is going to hell right with the rest of the world. And if you're not ready for that, you'll go to hell with her. Because this Titanic is sinking. There's only one kingdom that will remain. That's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're not prepared to be in that kingdom, you're going to be against Him. You're going to find the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ Himself coming to war against you. There are only going to be two kingdoms at this end of the age. My Bible tells me only two kingdoms. The kingdom of the devil and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who prepare themselves now as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Those will come with him to judge this world. They're going to judge angels. They're going to rule over the world. They're going to rule. Yes, the saints are going to rule over the world. And they're going to overcome the kingdom of darkness. The whole world lies in this kingdom of darkness. And if you're thinking America versus Russia or America versus China, I tell you, you're fighting the wrong war, brother. You're fighting the wrong war. Because my dear brothers in Russia are for me. They're not against me. I met a few of those. They pray on their knees and they weep for their nation. They are willing to suffer for the kingdom of heaven is at hand right under Putin's rule. And they're looking for ways of escape from this dictatorship and totalitarian. How do you say the word? Totalitarianism or something like that. His total rule. My brothers, 
are there. And I'm going to fight with them in my spirit right now on my knees. Because I am one with them. We're part of the kingdom of God. One of the glories that I found in traveling abroad is that I realized I'm not a proud American. And I'm not proud to be an American. I'm only proud for one thing and that is for the cause of Jesus Christ. His kingdom. I'm adopted into his family and I'm a soldier of Jesus Christ. That's the only pride I've got. That's my national pride. And if your pride is in this world, it will die. It will leave you hopeless, stricken, and afflicted, and afraid, and fighting a wrong war. <laughs> fighting a wrong war. Preparing yourselves to defend yourselves. What will you do in the end? Will you find yourself fighting against Jesus to save your natural country? Fighting against your brothers of another country. I'll tell you an interesting story. In the middle of this, Jesus shifts. And he starts talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And I'll tell you a sobering story. Because the Jews of those days, even the disciples... You can read in Luke chapter 21, chapter 24, the last chapter, where the disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus meets them. And they say these amazing words to Jesus. They didn't recognize him. And they say, what, are you a stranger in Israel? Don't you know what's been happening here? They said, I mean, we had hoped that this man was going to be the Messiah. This was Jesus they were talking to. They had hoped he was going to be the Messiah and deliver Israel from the Roman rule. And their hopes were dashed. And Jesus begins to proclaim himself through the prophets and through Moses, through the scriptures. And finally, at the end of it, he opens their eyes. Seventy years later, 70 A.D., the Roman general Titus comes with armies around Jerusalem, just like Jesus said here he would. And he surrounds the city for a number of days. You can read the history, especially in Josephus. Sobering story. And then he withdraws. And the armies withdraw for a period of time. The Christians, and there were many, who did not read or take to heart these words right here of Jesus where Jesus said when you see Jerusalem surrounded with soldiers and with armies in Matthew 24 and here and then he says run for your lives flee go to the hills don't even stop to pick up anything don't go back in the house if you're in the field run there were only a few who ran Compared to the many who stayed to fight. Christians. Because they were sure this was the time of Christ's return. To take Jerusalem back from the Romans. And establish his kingdom on earth. And there was such a nationalistic fever. Among God's people, not just the Jews, among God's people, there was this nationalistic fever as Zionists. The movement had caught on and it was, 
It was amazing and it was contagious. And many Christians stood up to fight to save Jerusalem, believing Jesus was going to come back then. And what they forgot was Jesus' own words. And they were all slaughtered, all of them. Only the ones who ran for the hills, who remembered Jesus' words, to not defend themselves, but run to save your life, escaped. Jesus said that in this context of the last days, because the same thing is happening today. We live in the same atmosphere, the world around. We live in the same type of atmosphere. And it's only those who prepare themselves to meet their God and look into the scriptures and gain instruction from the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to say, Lord, not, not only am I going to prepare my, myself to meet my God, but I'm going to look into your word and say, this is a time of my opportunity. This is the time when I am to engage into the kingdom of God with my neighbor, with those at the airport, with my co-worker, with my family, with everyone who meets and lives around me. This is my opportunity for my testimony. And then from testimony... Jesus ends it with this prayer. Therefore, watch and pray. He says, verse 31, Even so you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life and that they come on you suddenly like a trap. And that's exactly what the devil is doing to God's people. Weigh their hearts down with the worries, anxieties of life, and with other things. Dissipation means distraction. Distract them. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert at all times. How do you keep on the alert? Can someone tell me how are you doing it? I'd like to hear from you. How are you staying on the alert today? That Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, may be here in a moment. And one of... A lot of us may be gone and others will be left while we're doing our daily duties. Or you'll go down the road on the way home from this church service and you'll meet someone head on and you'll meet your maker in an instant. How are you preparing yourself for that day? I'll tell you how I am. The words of Jesus. And the Lord brings this home to my heart. And I tell you, I was so refreshed with our brothers in Australia because that's exactly what I see them doing as a body and as individuals is that this is on their hearts. And they were such a wonderful encouragement to me. What did Jesus say to do? Be on the alert at all times, praying, praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. 
Colossians chapter 4 says, devote yourselves to prayer. Why do you think that Jesus said again and again, every time he spoke of these last days, he ends it with these two words, watch and pray, watch and pray. I'll tell you why. Because it's only in prayer, hearing the voice of my God speak to me from his word, and me sharing my heart with him that I'll understand what's going on and that there he prepares my heart what to say and how to act to escape all these things that are coming on the world and to stand before the Son of Man. Outside of that, we don't stand a chance. You don't. If you don't pray at this time, you won't stand a chance. And I won't either. Jesus wasn't kidding. And he wasn't joking. And he wasn't making a suggestion. He was saying, this is your lifeline. This is it. This is the last lifeboat on the earth. It's my presence, the Holy Spirit. And where you are so connected with the kingdom of heaven, like Daniel of old, you will understand the times you're living in. And I will tell you, while you're there meeting me alone on your face, I'll prepare your heart. I'll tell you what to do. And you will find your God is enough. And He satisfies you. And He's giving you opportunities. And He will lead you into those opportunities. He'll put a word on your heart to share in those opportunities. And He'll teach you how to fight the real war. The fight against sin. The fight against the flesh. The fight against the devil. For we do not fight against flesh and blood, but with principalities and spiritual places and wickedness in high places. You won't make it without prayer. And you know what I find? That's where God's people stop. Is that where you're stopping? I hear so many of us talking about it, but nobody ends with prayer. Nobody! Nobody! I haven't found anyone after a conversation like that say, let's pray. Let's pray, brother. Let's prepare our hearts. Let's pray, sister. Let's prepare our hearts. Let's pray for each other. Let's open up our hearts and our minds to our God. This is our God. We live in this time. It's happening. Let's pray together. Let's pray in secret. That's what gets me up in the morning. Not because I have to. Because I want to be in touch with a God of reality. A God who's going to give me wisdom for this day of opportunity. Because tonight, I believe I might see His face. And I want to be prepared to stand before the Son of Man. And I want to know what to say when I get up to preach. To communicate His heart his people, his heart to my neighbor, his heart to my family. I want to prepare my family and their hearts that we can be ready to stand this evil day and counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. I'm reading a book by William Law. This man was back in the 1600s. And he wrote some 
deep things of God, which the Spirit of God revealed to him back then. Yeah, in the 1600s, they knew this stuff. In case you think you got a new revelation, brother, sister, you're not reading enough. You're unaware of your history, of the Spirit of God and what He's done in every generation. He says this, he's talking about the indwelling spirit and our desperate need for this in our day, the 1600s. This divine life in man can never be in him, but as a growth of life in and from God. Hence it is that resisting the spirit, quenching the spirit, grieving the spirit, gives growth to every evil that reigns in the fallen creation and leaves men and churches in easy an inevitable prey to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Nothing but obedience to the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, trusting Him for continual inspiration can possibly keep men from being sinners or idolaters in all that they do. For everything in the life and or religion of man that has not the Spirit of God for its source, direction, and end is but earthly, sensual, or devilish. When we sang that song, words of God, I stood there like I was standing in a holy place. Because one of the books the Lord laid on my heart to read through this long journey was a biography of William Tyndall, who burned at the stake in 1535 so you can have your Bible on your lap and understand what you read. In his day, only those who knew the original Latin and Greek and Hebrew, which were mostly the Catholic bishops or the Orthodox priests of the English church, could read that because they gave their life to study it. The rest of the population, the general population, had no Bibles. They could understand or read. And William Tyndall was so deeply convicted by this that he said to one of the bishops in the Catholic Church, he said, by God's grace, I'm going to have every plowman in England be able to know the Bible better than you. And he did so. But before he finished, they burned him for it. And today... We have this, so many, that it's become so common. And guess what's happened in our land? God's people have plenty of Bibles, but very few study it as if their life depends on it. While men of old, died to print it for us. So when I open my Bible, I say again, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Brother William Tyndall. I can't wait to meet you. Thank you. There were many other men who contributed. But God used men like that to make God's Word precious, but also to give it to us so we can read and understand. And you don't need a preacher anymore to tell you what the Bible means. You can read it for yourself. And then, as 1 John chapter 2 says, you have received the anointing and He teaches you all things. 
And you have no need that any man teach you. Because he will guide you into all truth. Through his word. But we live in a culture. A Christian culture. That is unprepared for what's coming to us. We talk about it. We're aware of it. And yet very few. Very few in the world. Are taking time out to diligently search the scriptures. For direction. For encouragement. For instruction. And seeking God's face. And taking time out to pray. And to encourage one another. To fight the good fight of faith. And be ready to stand before their God. Are you one of those? God is looking today for men and women, children, young people who are preparing their hearts to meet their God. God bless you. Over the course of history, there have been many nations rise and fall for many different reasons, but ultimately, I believe, at the hand of God. But there's one thing that's never changed, and that's the Word of God. One thing you can always depend on. So, glad today that we can depend on the Word of God. That'll close this part of our service. We're going to have our lunch ready here for us shortly. So if you would, if you can, please stand and uh, we'll have a closing prayer. I'm sorry? Um, yeah, we have a minute or two here. Okay. Uh, the pastor was talking about, uh, you know, uh, being a martyr, and uh, he came, and I'm not done with the book, it's called The Martyr and the Catacombs, and uh, it, and that's what a lot of times, like in the book of Acts, it talks about how they went to the hills or the catacombs, and, and it explains what a catacomb is, too. Um, and their persecution, and even then they felt like, even though they hid, they sometimes go out at night and, uh, you know, get, uh, they send somebody to get uh, what they need, plus also share the gospel too, but some of them got killed for it, and this is what was uh, around Nero's time. Also, we're talking about praise. In Psalms 150, it says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Amen. No excuse to not praise the Lord, no matter uh, what uh, times we're living in, or how dark, or how bright, or whatever the case may be. Amen. Thank you, Father, for being with us here this morning and for bringing your word to us. I pray that your praise would always be in our lips, no matter what the circumstance around us. I thank you for your word and the faithfulness of your word to last from 
generation to generation and that it never changes, is always true. I pray you would help us to continually hide your word in our heart so that we won't sin against you and so we will know your heart and your life that you have for us. I pray that you would bless our time of fellowship now and the meal as we take together. I pray that your will would be done in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Dismissed.